Great to see all your smiling faces. 
My name's Austin. Um, and just, just talk about how uh, that extra hour of sleep was really nice this morning. Except for me, because I have a little kid, so I was not sleeping. But you guys can all talk about how great that was. Oh, yeah, stand up and greet each other. <laughs> Sorry, it's my first time giving the welcome, so. We invite you guys to all stay standing and let's worship our Savior together. As we get into this uh, first song of the worship set, I just want to encourage us to just draw near to God today. You know, when we gather as a church, it's a place where we can be encouraged by each other and we can be reminded what Jesus has done for us. I was, uh, I was working at a summer camp when I was 21 years old and I remember reading the New Testament really for the first time. Uh, in full over the course of the summer, and I remember just being struck by the power of God, by who Jesus was and what he's actually done for me. And it started to make sense in a, in a new and powerful way. I don't know if you're reading scripture uh, at home uh, in your daily rhythms, uh, but it's so important because you can know the story and you can see the heart of God. I was reading a book by a guy named Kerry Newhoff. He's an author uh, and a speaker, and he said something that really stuck with me, and I just want to share it with us today. He said, uh, in Jesus, we see more clearly than ever before what God is like because he's the image of the invisible. He's the God who came into our mess, who came into, uh, in, onto earth in human form, and then he traded our place. He took the, the place that we, we owed, the, the wages of sin meant death, but he took that death for us so that we can have life in him. We're people of the resurrection, and we get to celebrate that every day. It's not just an Easter thing, but it's an everyday thing for us. Jesus has raised us to life, and we get to celebrate and worship him. So we just invite you today as we sing the song, uh, just declare it from your heart. You've done great things, Jesus. You've done great things for me.
God, your spirit would come in our hearts and move and have your way. Have your way in this community, at Watershed. God, we seek you. And our hearts are willing to invite you in. Be with us today and encourage us through your word. We're so grateful that you are our God. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And we're going to check out this next video in the story series. had left behind. Little did she know that the owner of the field was Boaz, a relative of Naomi. Boaz was kind to her and offered her to come find food whenever she wanted. Naomi was getting older, so she came up with a plan to provide for Ruth once she was gone. She suggested that Ruth sneak into Boaz's bedroom while he was sleeping, uncover his feet, and ask him to take care of her. Ruth took Naomi's advice. She uncovered Boaz's feet and laid down next to him. In the middle of the night, Boaz woke up startled. Ruth asked him to care for and protect her. Boaz agreed but said he needed to first buy the land she lived on so that he would have the right to marry her. So Boaz brought together the decision makers of his town and asked for permission to buy the land. The leaders gave Boaz permission and prayed that God would help Ruth be a great wife. They were married and had a son named Obed, who would soon become the grandfather of one of the greatest leaders Israel had ever known. All right, if kids through fifth grade want to come over here, and we're going to pray for you all as well as for us as we hear God's word. And I think, Howie, you got us this morning? Right on. Howie's going to pray for us, so we, we got a lot of people coming, so we, we'll, we'll chill here a minute. Yeah. Everybody doing good? Let me ask you a question. If somebody showed up at your feet in the middle of the night and you woke up and saw them, would you go, wow! Yeah? <laughs> wow. I, I think you're going to have a lot more life in those classrooms, aren't you? <laughs> All right, Howie. Pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can all make it church safely and um, please let us all go back from church to home safely too. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bud.
Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm the campus pastor here at Watershed. Um, and again, if you don't kind of aren't familiar with how Watershed works, we have three worshiping communities here on campus. So we kind of have one of those satellite church models, but like on the same on the same church campus, um, and we are all Hardawike Ministries. So I'm glad you could join us here at Watershed uh, this morning. But uh, we are journeying through the, the video that you just saw is kind of a catch-up on, on where we're at as we journey through the whole Bible. This whole school year, we are going through um, kind of step-by-step step the Bible, um, kind of touching on different books of the Bible. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's four chapters, and we're going to actually kind of cover the whole book. The video did a good job, but there's some details to fill in there. Uh, that, that will have some meaning in life for us. But last week, we, we hit the book of Judges. Judges was a time in Israel's life when they had come into the promised land. God had saved them, rescued the people from Egypt. Finally, they got into the promised land, uh, but then they got into this cycle, a cycle of sin and then God leaving them uh, with the repercussions of their sin then they would repent, they would turn from what they were doing, they would call upon God, God would rescue them. And that cycle would happen over and over through uh, that season of their, their kind of country's life. And, and so we call that a redemption cycle. We would see over and over again, God would come to the rescue of his people when they would make mistakes. It's important for us this morning. Um, Connor, I'm going to need you to uh, kind of roll through the slides with me this morning because, you know, I didn't do my diligence and get the clicker today. So, um, but if you can bring that up, it, it, it brought my attention in, in how it bridges into Ruth to this phrase that I, this saying that I found a, actually a few years ago, and I still can't find out who said it, so maybe it was just a really good meme. Sometimes, like memes and Instagram things, like you can run across some really good ones, right? Occasionally. <laughs> but uh, this one caught my attention. Only God can turn a mess into a message. Right? How many of you have ever made a mess of something? Um, I made a mess of things yesterday when I got upset at Kendra. Sorry, Kendra. Um, for her leaving the garage door open while it was raining and leaves were blowing in. And in my frustration about the mess, um, I took my frustration out on my wife because I am a human being who still can't pull his head out of his rear end occasionally. Um, <laughs> I made a mess out of things. <laughs> and thank God that he shows up in my wife and she's gracious and kind, and forgiving. Can she become that on her own? Can we ever become that on our own? I don't think we can without God, without a story that anchors our life in forgiveness. All we got to do is look at our culture. Do we see much forgiveness in our culture today? No. But it's only God, right, who can, who can make a mess, turn a mess into a message, who can take a test that we face and make a testimony out of it, right? Think about the challenges you and I have faced and how many times can we actually go, yeah, I would never do that again, however. Man, let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you what came out of that. I don't want to go through it again, but 
having gone through it, I'm a different person. I wouldn't change it either. Right? There's some tension in there, but there's life. Only God can do that. Only God can turn a trial into a triumph. Only God take a victim. Maybe bring about a victory. This phrase is important for us this morning because I think what we'll see throughout the book of Ruth is that this statement is true. That God does it. My question for us this morning is how does God do it? Well, I'm going to give you two words. It's faith through his faithfulness and through his favor. It's through his loyalty, his loving kindness. In the Hebrew, it's hesed. It's through his radical commitment to us, to you. It doesn't matter where you come from this morning, where you've been, or even what you're a part of at this very moment. There's a truth, there's a reality for us in the gospel. The good news is God is radically for you and not against you. He is committed to you because he created you and loves you and wants life for you. He gave his son for you. That's how we know that. But it's through faithfulness. And it's favor. Favor, another word for that in, in the Hebrew is hen. So hesed and hen. And I didn't put that up on the screen for you later. I just put faithfulness and favor. Easier to remember, yeah? Right? And then if you actually pronounce the Hebrew correctly, hesed and hen, you won't spit on the person next to you. But hen in Hebrew is favor. It's grace. Right? It's unearned. None of us earned that kind of love from our God. None of us earned that kind of favor. And what we'll see through two very ordinary people, Ruth and Boaz, we'll see God's faithfulness shining through. We'll see God's favor in us. So I want to start this morning in Ruth 1. We're going to go through all four chapters, bits and pieces, but I want to guide us through this. This is a beautiful story. And I want us to realize something that happens right away in the days when the judges rule. Right, last week we heard, and like I just tried to catch us up on, there's this cycle of sin and redemption. Brokenness, people doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, the repercussions of that, and God having to save them. In the midst of that is this story. In the time when judges rule. In the midst when it seemed like everybody was doing what they wanted, what we're going to find out is there were people who were faithful. And who showed the favor of God. There was a famine. As we saw in our video, right? There was a famine. So a man from Bethlehem, which ironically, the title of Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's a famine in the house of bread in Bethlehem. So together uh, with, his two wife, with his wife and two sons, he went for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malin and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malin and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing for them, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. So if you can put up the next slide for me, 
Connor. Just to give you an idea of where we're talking about, Bethlehem, Judah is just south of Jerusalem. Moab is a country to the other side of the Dead Sea. So one of the good things is God always told his people, don't ever go back to Egypt. But in the middle of a famine, Naomi, Elimelech, their family, right, is going, how do we provide? How do we take care of our family? So instead of going back to Egypt, they go to Moab. What's important for us to remember is the fact that they are actually leaving the promised land. Right, this land that God had rescued his people, had promised to provide for his people in, even though times get tough because life isn't always perfect. We know when sin and brokenness are part of human story, the human story, life is never always perfect. Just following God and saying, wow, everything's going to be rosy, isn't always mean things are going to be rosy. But they made a decision. They left the promised land. We don't know from Scripture whether they were dumb and should never have done it. <laughs> we don't know that God would have, was judging them. They just made a decision. And what we're going to hear throughout the book of Ruth is God shows up in their life no matter the decision that was made. Sometimes trying to figure out if it was right or wrong isn't actually the question for us to figure out. The bigger question was, God's still with them. Well, it looks like life is pretty empty right now. Empty for Naomi. Empty for Ruth, Orpah. But it's also fitting that they go to Moab because Moab and Israel don't have a great relationship in history. Um, Connor, keep moving us through if you would. The first thing about the Moabs, uh, Moabites that I want us to see is that they were a nation. They were... They were uh, distant relatives with the Israelites because they came from Lot, uh, who was Abraham's nephew, part of Abraham's family. But they came through a weird relationship between Lot and his daughter and daughter-in-law. And, and you can go to Genesis and read that story. But uh, it wasn't a great story. Um, and so it turns out that he, actually not his daughter-in-law, his daughter, and they have a child and Moabites come from that. So it's just kind of this, their start is not great. But then, uh, next, next one, the Moabites and the Ammonites, then later on in Deuteronomy, we're told, are not allowed in the presence of God, in the temple. So God deems the Moabites and the Ammonites as people who don't belong. Part of the reason for that um, is that they end up refusing passage next Slide, yeah, they refused passage to the Israelites into the promised land. So this, this isn't going well. And yet, when you're desperate, you do desperate things. Amen? Right? We'll go to Moab. We don't care what the history is. They're closer. Man, we just need it. Well, we find out in Judges last week, uh, do, do, how many of you remember uh, Ehud and Eg, King Eglon? Right? If you were here, left-handed Ehud and and literally, the scripture says, big fat king Eglon, right? <laughs> Crazy story. <laughs> but the Moabites, supply, you know, they, they took over and ruled over the Israelites. So, like, this isn't, again, a great history. Finally, uh, the Moabites, their god, their main god was, was Chemosh, um, which also was close to the Ammonite god of Molech. He was known as the destroyer, the subduer, the fish god, but required human sacrifice. Right, so Elimelech, Naomi, they go to this land that seems to be without God. 
And Naomi finds herself without a husband, without sons, and two daughters. This is how the story starts. A mess. A victim of life. Right? But it continues. Because there's four chapters, right? It doesn't stop at verse (laughs) 6. But Ruth 1 verse 8 says this, Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, she's going back home, she finds out God has provided for the people, she says to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness. There's your faithfulness. May God show you loving kindness, the loyalty that you have shown to us, that kindness that you have shown to my dead husbands, to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. She said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Right, and there Orpah, one daughter, ends up going back. She urges them again and again, no, you must go. But then we hear what Ruth does in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave, leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. They returned. People see her and go, wow, it's, it's Naomi. And she goes, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for I'm bitter. God is against me. She feels like, again, completely empty. But what I want for us to begin to see in the book of Ruth this morning is just because she feels empty doesn't mean God isn't being faithful. Right, we see a glimpse of that faithfulness in favor already in her daughters, right? When she says, in her daughters-in-law, and uh, we're not even going to go into the relationship between daughters-in-laws and mothers-in-laws. We'll leave that. What does she say? And your faithfulness, your kindness, and may God show you that kindness. She was experiencing some faithfulness, even though she had experienced so much loss. And that happens so often for us, don't we? doesn't it? When the wounds are so deep, we, we have a hard time seeing the goodness that's surrounding us. When the pain is so real, it's hard to see even a glimpse of steadfast love, of favor. And yet the scripture reminds us of a story that's going on underneath, an upper story as we've talked about throughout That we have a God that never leaves us, never forsakes us. And wasn't going to leave Naomi empty and bitter. And we start to see his loving kindness through the faith in the love of Ruth, a Moabite. Story continues. So they go back home. And in uh, chapter 2 we hear, So Boaz said to Ruth, so, so before we get to so what Boaz says to Ruth, what is Ruth doing? We saw in the video, and she was doing this, she was going out to the fields to glean on the edges where oftentimes farmers would leave their bits and pieces of their crop for the poor and for the widow so that they would have sustenance and provision. 
And so Ruth was living into the practices and the culture of the Israelites. And by the way, Boaz was being a faithful follower of God to leave that part of his field for others in his community. (gasps) Wait, in the time of Judges, not everybody was doing their own thing for themselves? That in the time of Judges, maybe somebody, a la Boaz, was being faithful to what God called him to and calls us to? Well, sure. Ruth goes to glean. She has no clue it's Boaz, so, but she meets Boaz and she catches Boaz's eye. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and whatever you're, whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. And not only that, he told his servants, oh, by the way, leave a little extra along the way. So now not only is he leaving the stuff on the sides of the field, he's being overly generous and saying, you know what, leave some extra. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor, such hen, such grace in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? goes on to say, Boaz replied, I've I've been told about all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Right, what she's done is becoming made known. And then... She goes on to say this, May I continue to find that grace, favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. That's what grace does. That's what favor does, right? It puts people at ease. She goes, Though I do not have the standing of even one of your servants. Right? She recognizes who she is. She recognizes she's an outsider looking in. She's a widow. She's an alien in biblical terms. She's a foreigner. And yet in Boaz, right, we see another glimpse of faithfulness and favor. Right, in Boaz's faithfulness to the Lord, we see him extending grace. Connor, if you could throw that up again. Right, we see the goodness of of God flowing out through him to her. And she recognizes it. Man, how have I found that favor in your eyes? So another glimpse of faithfulness and favor given in this story. Right? God's not done with them yet. Ruth goes back then and tells Naomi, and Naomi is exuberant. She's filled with joy because she finds out that Boaz is their guardian redeemer, their kinsman Redeemer. The guardian redeemer in biblical terms would be a close relative who, if your husband and your brothers died, they would take you into their family to make sure their, their, the line would continue on. And they would make sure that you were protected and provided for. What was Boaz already doing for Ruth? Protecting her by saying, don't go to another field and providing for her. By the way, he gave her 30 pounds of barley. 
That's a lot of food in that time. <laughs> and Naomi is excited. And she has an idea. Since he's the guardian redeemer, hey, go to him and ask him to take care of you. So Boaz wasn't in his house, Connor, if we can go to chapter 3. Boaz actually wasn't in his house. He was overseeing the crops in what would have been his barn. And, and so that's what the master does at the time of the, the harvest to make sure nothing happens. Servants can't skim some of the top off, right? Nobody can get after it. So he's there. And, and, and again, we hear this kind of weird story that takes, takes place in the middle of the night. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. She took a position that a servant would take. In, that, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Wow! <laughs> Who are you? he asked. Your servant Ruth, right? They don't have nighttime lights. They don't have any movement LEDs here to, to shine a light. <laughs> and she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are the guardian and redeemer of our family. The interesting thing there is the corner of that garment is also this similar and very close wording to when Boaz says to her, you've taken refuge under the shadow of, of the wing of the Lord. She now takes refuge under Boaz. She says, you're the guardian redeemer. This is actually quite honorable in their culture and time to request that he would take her and the rest of their family underneath his wing. And that's why we hear this, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Not just taking care of Naomi, but now you're going to come into my family. And then notice this, you haven't run after younger men, whether rich or poor. You could have positioned yourself in other places. They didn't have to be redeemed by that closest relative. They would still have a choice. He's like, oh, now my daughter, don't be afraid. Listen to the grace and favor now, Boaz. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family. Now think about, it. here's again the nobility of Boaz. There is another who is more closely related than I. And now he goes on, stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it, lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor trying to uphold her honor as she also lived in honor. Will you redeem? What an amazing story. Right? Do you see the beauty of how God is continuing to provide for Naomi, for Ruth, for them through this faithfulness in favor in everyday ordinary people? Through Boaz, who's just trying to be a faithful man of God. Through Ruth, an outsider, a foreigner, a Moabite who didn't belong, who somehow maybe shows God more than most in her loyalty and her commitment to her mother-in-law when she could have just gone home. God is 
taking the empty and filling up. So they go out to the town then in, in, in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, and he, they call to this, this next guardian redeemer. Boaz calls to this no-named man, and he goes, okay, we're out because at the gate is where they did sort of ju- judicial things. That was the, the modern-day courthouse uh, for them. And he says, here, listen, do you want to take a Limelech's property and Naomi? Um, you know, you want all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, great. And he goes, but then you're going to have to take the Moabite Ruth too. And he's like, yeah, no. So if you don't think being a Moabite matters, it was enough for him to say, I don't care what the stories have been. I don't care about how loyal and kind. Me taking her into my house kind of, you know, it it may ruin my reputation. It may uh, screw up some of my own other relationships. It, It may have an impact on some of my business dealings. More concerned about himself. And said, Boaz says, okay, fine. Then I will. And here's where it picks up. As he says, I will be the redeemer, the guardian redeemer. We hear that the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, listen, a Moabite, says, may, may, may the Lord make her, this Moabite, Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, these are like the mom, some of the, the key moms of Israel. <laughs> May God make her, hold her in such esteem, put her in such a position like Rachel and Leah who together built the family of Israel. Right? May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May this Moabite's name, Ruth, live on. Then they go on, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now this is another kind of crazy story in Genesis. Judah, now this is the daughter-in-law. Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah and uh, they end up having a child and it's kind of, again, crazy story. Uh, and yet, the people who are located in Bethlehem come from that line. And God made something out of a mess, right? If we go all the way back to the beginning of the message this morning, he turned victims into victory, right? Tests, sometimes failed tests into testimonies, messes into messages. Only God can do that and somehow redeems this line of Perez and Tamar and Judah. And and so may again what happens here be known. May, May what has what has maybe been thought of as is worthless and, and, and pointless and empty be now full of life. It goes on to say this in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day hasn't left you without a guardian redeemer. Listen, the one who has said, call me Mara, bitter, is saying what? Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Is God for her anymore or against her anymore? Not anymore. Through those glimpses of faithfulness and favor, Naomi has gone from empty to full. 
Not only has God been working in and through Ruth and Boaz, but man, Naomi's life is changed. He will renew your life. Or, uh, sorry, the, the women said, the women of the town in verse 14 said, He will praise be the Lord who this day hasn't left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in, our, in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who you love, who loves you, who's better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. When the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That faithfulness and favor, the glimpses we've seen in this story of Ruth have beautifully come back to bringing fullness. When the story starts empty, full of lifelessness, it ends four chapters later over time, right? This story takes place over time. This doesn't happen one day to the next. But there's life. Because that's what faithfulness, kindness, favor, and grace does. It brings life, doesn't it? It changes our life. Thinking about it, and yeah, those great acts. I mean, I would say Ruth does amazing acts of kindness. I mean, it's the blow your mind kind of acts of loyalty that shape this story. But Boaz does the ordinary, kind of the everyday kinds of acts. And, and I think both of them are set beautifully in the story to remind us that amazing acts of faithfulness and grace, as well as everyday acts of faithfulness and grace. Both together bring life. So I was just reflecting on that personally. I, I, my parents are coming up uh, later on this afternoon, so Kendra and I can go take a break. Watching my kids. Kids are in high school, not much to watch anymore. They just got to make sure the house doesn't burn down. <laughs> but my parents are coming up, and I was just taken back again. And my dad, for 45 years, was a construction electrician who went to work day in and day out to make sure that I could have a roof over my head, could have a meal on my plate, could have clothes on my back. He's committed to bringing us to church every week, trying to lead for us what he didn't necessarily know as much growing up. Why? So we could have a life. My mom, who would clean houses, would later start a business, would also be the one cleaning our house, making sure my room was picked up, even though I would kind of make it a mess again, and then she'd say, why don't you clean your room? And then, out of her kindness, would clean it up. And maybe that was her OCD too, but that's okay. <laughs> who would make sure we had our lunches packed, that meal was made. I think I am who I am today, not because of their great and grand acts, faithfulness, or favor, but probably more so because of the everyday. Unassuming, unspectacular, oftentimes taken for granted ways 
that they remain committed to us and make me want to be that same kind of father, to be there for my children. Make me want to be that pastor who goes, and I want to be there for you. It's not always in the flash and the bang. Sometimes it's just me every day in the moment. Because it's in those times that we have life. So if we wonder how God can be the one turns a mess into a message, a test into a testimony. Connor, if you can bring that up. It's the next slide. Trial into the triumph. Make a victim into, bring about a victory. In Ruth, we see. It's through everyday people who by the grace of God working in their lives show his faithfulness and his faith. And those little glimpses we hear in the story were reminded that God provided for his people. The Lord has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And what happens? Obed becomes the father of Jesse, who becomes the father of David, the greatest king of Israel, who in turn becomes the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, our guardian redeemer, our savior. And guess whose name shows up in the genealogy? We talked about this in Joshua when the walls of Jericho fell and we hear about Rahab the prostitute. Her name ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. Guess who else's name ends up in the genealogy of Jesus? Ruth. Another faithful foreigner. Somebody from the outside whose story and life is brought in. Because that's what Jesus does. He brings life to us. He gives life for us so we can live. As has been kind of the practice the last couple weeks, in the prayer, I can lead us to praying the Lord's Prayer. As we focus in on some of the words of that prayer this morning, I just want us to think about, give us today our daily bread. Right, that we rely on God for our provision as we think about a story with Bethlehem, the house of bread. That decisions were made based on provision. We all need God's provision daily in our lives. But then I also think about a phrase in there that says, deliver us from evil. And as much as as Naomi faced evil, she needed God, in which God did for her to fill her with life. So let's pray together and then I'll invite us um, to join together and say in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And again, pray that if you, you feel comfortable joining us. But let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful story of Ruth. Lord, as I've read this story this week, in a way, it's, it's one of those stories that, that, that really can stand on its own. It doesn't need more words. In the simplicity of it and in the beauty of it, we see when life becomes lifeless. We see that life sometimes becomes empty and we don't always know why. Famines take place. Death takes place. Lord, we know in our lives we've got friends who are sick, who are suffering. Lord, with the loss of a job, there's a wondering and a waiting. 
Lord, it was 10 years in the scripture. Sometimes it's just the length of time that wears on us and weighs us down. Lord, you don't sugarcoat the reality of life. It is what it is. And yet in the midst of that life, Lord, we see in the book of Ruth, in our story today, in in the story that was passed on through generations, that you never left Naomi, you never left Ruth. God, and you were providing for them. You were working behind the scenes. Your upper story was breaking through in their lower story. You were providing for Ruth and, and shaping her character so she would be one who would reflect your loyalty to her mother. You were empowering that loyalty. Father, for Boaz, a guy who was just trying to be faithful to you, Lord, you were taking that grace and favor and allowing that to be an outflow in his life. And there were these glimpses all throughout for Naomi where she started, I I, got to believe, Lord, that, that life started to pour back in, that life was maybe a little less bitter. Father, and I want to pray this morning that if, if any of us are sitting here today feeling pretty empty. Because that's the reality, is, is we don't always come into worship filled up or even halfway. God, just simply allow us to see the glimpse of your presence and goodness with us. Maybe it's going to be through a friend. Maybe it'll be in a moment. Maybe it'll be just a peace that overwhelms us. But Lord, let us know that you're not letting go of us, just like you never let go of Naomi. Father, and through those glimpses, as you filled Naomi, as you filled Ruth's life, as as you filled Boaz's life, as you filled a community of people, God, may we experience the filling of your goodness and your grace, Lord, that you would turn our graves into gardens. Father, and I pray too that you would empower us to be people of loyalty that resembles yours, of grace and favor that looks like yours as well. Because as we can see in this story, and those ordinary everyday acts, those ways of just being there and persisting, God can bring life. And there are plenty of around, plenty of people around us who need us to show up in that way for them. So, Lord, show us where we can step in and show your faithfulness and favor. And Father, again, um, Lord, as we pray to you, as we talk to you, God, you give us words to pray. Not to be special, magical words, but words that can help us remember these things that we've talked about. And so, Lord, together, we we unite our, our voices and our hearts as we Pray these words, Jesus, you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I've been in a a few situations that felt very much like a famine or like Moab. And I'm encouraged because our God says we can come to him just like Ruth did at the foot of Boaz. We can come to Jesus. We can come to his foot. 
and we can lay our life down before him and he can respond to us with favor and faithfulness. We're going to sing together. We're going to use a song, Graves in the Gardens, to remind us that God can work a miracle out of a mess. So we just invite you to stand with us today as we sing this together. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, the treasures that fade, never enough.
Amen. Let's praise God for that. I pray you know that. Plain and simple. Pray that you know that. I pray that you can believe that and that you can allow yourself to believe it. Ruth was willing to let herself be marked by a different story. And that's the only way we're ever going to let that goodness of God be good to us is if we allow ourselves to be marked by his story, a story of freedom, a story of God's immense friendship for us, and a story of rest, of peace in life. So I pray that you get to know that. If you want to know more about that story, come talk to me. Let's, let's chat. Talk to another friend who knows that story. But I want you to know that story. And I want you to receive this blessing of our God as you go. This is God's blessing for us, not mine. It's his. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen. Go in peace. If you don't mind stacking two or three chairs, we always appreciate that. But uh, also feel free to hang out and chat. <laughs>